Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we discuss, educate and talk about industry news and hot topics, company reviews and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International. With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson. Hi, mining community. Welcome back for another episode of the Dig Deep the Mining podcast. And today's guest is Leif Carroll, who's the principal, senior principal at Centra. Um, and she works in the Central Digital Applied Intelligence Mining Lead. Um, Leif's background is in geology um, and she's moved uh, into the applied intelligence to generate value for clients through definition, adoption and strengthening of innovation and sustainability strategy, advanced analytics and machine learning and improved operating models. I'm going to let Leif explain in more detail about that. Um, so let's get straight to the podcast and uh, welcome Leif Carroll. How, how are you doing Leif? Hi Rob, I'm well thanks, how are you? Yes, I'm not too bad, not too bad. Um, so obviously how we start most of these podcasts off, I wondered if you give the audience um, a background, a little bit about your background. Obviously you came from uh, a geology background, so um, if you can tell the audience once you uh, graduated, how you moved through your career and your journey to where you are today. Yeah, sure. So, um, so I started out doing geology as an undergrad, and, but knew already from when I was 17 that I wanted to go into, ex, into exploration and mining and um, went straight from undergrad to the Royal School of Mines and did a master's in mineral project appraisal, which is really looking at mining projects holistically, not just the geology, but also the, um, the environmental and social setting, the regulatory setting, um, as well as the financials of projects um, and, and uh, what the potential value might be for projects. And um, subsequent to to finishing that course, when um, when the gold price was through the floor, I think it was about two eighty when we graduated in two thousand one, um, having it had been as low as two fifty. So none of the mining companies were were taking new graduates on, and um, and exploration budgets had all been cut, as I'm sure you can appreciate. Yeah. So I had to think laterally and um, toyed with the idea of a, a career in mining law before deciding actually my heart was in was in really in mining and, and that's where I needed to be. So I, I took a lateral step and joined a UK based consulting firm who, um, given the, the focus was on the UK extractive industries, I actually did quite a bit of work with the aggregate industries um, players, yep. as well as the some of the government bodies around at the time, including ODPM, which was the, the former office of the Deputy Prime Minister. And quite a number of our projects were either fairly straightforward geological projects for the um, aggregate industries players themselves, um, undertaking assistance with planning extensions for example or 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 seeking new mineral um mineral deposits for them um as well as strategic mineral supply projects we did quite a number of those around building stone and um high psv which is road stone uh, road surface stone for the government themselves so they understood then back in the early 2000s that there was a, a real importance in um securing mineral supply going quite forward, far forward into the future. Um, and then there were quite a lot of projects we did at that stage that had a, an environmental monitoring element to them. After a few years of doing that, I, I knew I had to get back into mining proper. Um, otherwise, I was going to become um, very experienced in the in the quarrying sector. Yeah. And so I um, took a job with a, a junior AIM-listed explorer um, in Turkey, working on gold and copper exploration. So I, I really did get out into the field and get my boots dirty um, and did that for 12 months, learned a huge amount. Um, it was an amazing experience being out in the mountains in Turkey. We were quite a small company, so um, quite often if we needed specialist skills, we had some very senior people come in from industry, such as mapping specialists or the um, the oracle that is Dick Silito came out to spend some time with us um, because we were working on an epithermal gold deposit. So learn a huge amount in that 12 months. Um, and at the end of the 12 months, returned to London thinking, right, well, I need to get 
to get into a position where I broaden my exposure. I, I'm, I've always been a fan of consulting for the very fact that you work on multiple different projects at different stages of the value chain. Yep. And I joined a, a, a UK firm that had an overseas mining team. So, um, so a lot of the projects we were working on were overseas. In fact, the majority of them were overseas. And I did everything from assisting unlisted private companies with grassroots exploration programs, all the way through to mine closure of, of listed companies. So after after a few different rounds with various consultants and a, and a short amount of time I spent with a company called Gemcom, which was which is now Dasso, part of Dasso Systems Geovia. Um, I uh, wanted really wanted to look at where else the mining sector needs to be um, needs to be focusing their attention. So so not just not just the, the technical aspects from an engineering environmental geology standpoint, but actually what's really driving the industry. And an opportunity came up with Accenture, and um, I'm, I'm sure you know for those for those listening, um, Accenture is a um, is a very large global technology based firm. We've got half a million people dotted across the world, um, and. The, the, our bread and butter really is all based around technology and innovation, but it's applying to that um, strategy and understanding of sustainability and, um, and an understanding of people and process so that when we're working with the mining clients, we are leveraging the latest and greatest technologies to address the business needs. Yeah. Um, I was, I was gonna, one question, obviously, that's I've um, I thought about as you've uh, shared your journey is obviously you mentioned you've been out in the field as a geologist what sort of skills do you need to obviously someone that's been out in the field to then move into a, a technology type of business or a management consultancy type of business what what are the core skills that you need that you I take it you had to acquire over the over the years from when you were out as a field geologist to where you are now I think that the the First, first and foremost, you need a, a real capacity for learning. So um, a very curious mind um, and a, a wish to know, to, to ask the question why, to understand um, why things are happening, understand what the importance of something is, but also to look at how you can, how things can be done differently. So always thinking outside the box or ignoring that there might be a box entirely. And thinking, actually, so this is how things are currently done, but what would be possible? So that's that's the one of the the key elements. Yeah. The other element, which was something that I I perfectly understood when I opted to go to the Royal School of Mines and do that particular course, which was designed for people to, it was put up really focused on mining finance. And we we during the course we did accounting with the MBA students, and it was designed for people to do the course and then go into the city, and um, I. I intended never to go into the city at that point. I didn't want to go directly from the course of the city. But what I knew I wanted was to understand the business of mining. And I knew that that would be critical to my career further down the line. It was important to get that time in the field because you need to have the, the understanding of the front line. You need to have an understanding of what happens um, on the ground, yes, but also to have that that business context um, and understand what the drivers are at various different levels. That certainly already helped me um, be prepared to go into um, a, a technology-based um, but business-driven company like Accenture. Yeah. Um, obviously, you mentioned about the, 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 the key drivers. What are the key drivers, in your opinion, of the, in the mining industry today? Wow, that that is that is a um, it, it's become the most interesting question because we've seen a dramatic shift um, even in the last eighteen to twenty four months, and we see the the whole industry choosing a new path, yep. with a complete shift in purpose from being mineral producers mm. where in the past if you had a decent deposit, um, the economics stacked up and you push the push the mineral to the markets someone would buy it, particularly in the case of copper, iron ore, coal, um, in the past certainly, um, and gold. And now what we're seeing is a shift to the miners taking a, an approach of being global resource stewards. I mean, they're certainly starting to move in that direction. As you know, mining is like a slow, slow big tanker yeah. on the ocean. 
and um, you, you set a new trajectory and it takes a while for it to turn. Yeah. But that that is um, that is definitely the direction that people are starting to head into. And the the main drivers of that are first and foremost safety, um, which is top of everyone's agenda all of the the mining companies that we work with and, and all of the companies across the world whether they're majors mid-tiers or juniors are looking to ensure that their workforce and their communities are both safe and well so everybody goes home at the end of the day um, and everyone is safe in their houses um, and the the livelihoods and the environment around them that support the livelihoods is also kept safe so that's critical sustainability um, Whilst sustainability and sustainable development has been around since, since the late 90s as a concept with its three pillars of economic, social, environmental, it, it really has started to become woven into business in the last few years. We've had our, our major mining companies doing sustainability and corporate social responsibility for, for several decades, but actually it being um, a, a critical measure of business has has really come about in the last few years and um, not least because we've got climate change has become mainstream the whole environmental agenda is no longer a minority concern and companies are facing unprecedented pressure from governments and society to carry out business without negatively impacting the, the people and the planet the the one of the very big changes we've seen in the last 12 to 24 months is that the investors particularly the institutional investors are now taking a very keen interest in how companies are um, are managing the environment and also the their impact on on the communities and people and and the the social um, the, the the social fabric that they that they interact with um, and we are seeing those institutionalists not only in, um, vote with their feet so they're they're looking more and more at um, how measuring companies on their environmental social governance. And, and withdrawing investment if they don't feel that, that that is up to scratch. But they're also developing their own tools to monitor various things, su such as um, the, the Church of England Investment Group, which is several trillion, um, several trillion in value of investment that it, that it, um, that it oversees. They have developed a, um, a tool to monitor tailings management. Okay. Of their own, so that's that's separate from the from the government and the regulators in the host countries, and that's separate from the from the companies themselves. And we anticipate that more of those type of tools will be developed, so that the institutional investors can can keep keep track on on behaviours and and management and governance. So that's very key, and that's a very significant change. The as a result of those, the the need to obviously the safety piece. Um, is fairly obvious as to, to what we need to do and all of the mining companies are addressing or are focusing on zero harm as well as um, at, at, the, at the very least zero fatalities we all know that mining is a fairly dangerous dirty business yep. um, and and sometimes you you can't anticipate um, a, a situation happening but you can remove people from the hazard and that's why we're seeing an increase in autonomous operations we're seeing an increase on in remote operating centers um and um and and things like vr virtual reality in order to train people away from the the actual operational setting prior to putting them in in, in any high risk setting and in terms of the environmental element we are seeing a distinct focus on the need to reduce energy and water consumption energy most miners are targeting zero carbon and looking to renewable energies. A number of the miners have announced that they certain operations are going to be run on new, renewable energies as uh, as from a, a certain date. Um, all the miners are also experimenting or implementing electric vehicles, particularly underground, obviously, for the ventilation issues. Um, and a number of the miners are experimenting with hydrogen fuel cells as an alternative to electric vehicles. So th that's a very significant change. On top of that, We've had the likes of BHP announce that they um, will be measuring all of their operations on social value as well as um, as well as financial value. The, this speaks to the triple bottom line, which is actually an accounting measure where you measure on on people, planet, and profit. So so social, environmental, and financial. 
and we anticipate that um that more of the the miners will take up that that genuine metric measurement of um of social value okay yeah no that's a that's a um good exploration obviously of those uh, key drivers um i suppose my next question is um obviously you've been working at Accenture for a few years what value do you bring to a company or an operation in obviously you, you go and look at a company obviously they might be having some problems or challenges or may need to improve whether it's operational or a business so what value do you do you bring to an organization or an operation or even a project um so that's an interesting question because it's we've we've also seen a change in tack on um on companies approaching issues or or um or areas of risk for example and yeah. and how they apply technology when i first joined accenture which is three just over 3 years ago almost three and a half years ago we saw all of the miners looking at digital transformation and digitalization and um, applying the latest and greatest technologies across the board with maybe a list of 200 initiatives that they that they had done a study and identified well these these different technologies or these different applications would be great but then that begs the question well what of these are our priority and um and also what would be the return on investment for these so the 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 exercise was being done without necessarily having a baseline measurement and um and without necessarily understanding what was the actual business need so that it, it was lacking to a certain degree strategy and what we saw was a, a lot of the miners would come to us with all these disparate projects uh, as one of my bosses used to say it was like a, a whole bunch of science experiments going off left right and center <laughs> on operations without any coordination yeah. and and they were struggling to one um actually get these they were all proof of concept so one actually get these proof of concepts to a point where they were proven let alone scale them on on an industrial in a, on an industrial scale yeah. um, and two to um to understand if if in one area of the business they were doing a similar project to another area of the business how could they collaborate and, and um and cross correlate or cross pollinate yeah. the learnings from that and three to actually derive any value from them so um so what what we've tried to encourage our and i mean go, that all was a little bit like taking a, a fancy technological hammer and wandering around an operation or, or in corporate functions and saying right i need to find a a nail that needs hitting with this yeah. rather than saying okay what does the business need so that's where we always start with our clients is um, and, and what we bring with that is a wealth of understanding of the mining industry. We we work with all of the major mining companies across the world, as well as adjacent industries. So we're able to bring learnings from the likes of oil and gas, who who traditionally have been one step ahead of mining, yeah. not least because they've typically had far greater funding. But we're able to bring those in. Um, to the mining sector and say, okay, what what are your business needs? So where are you currently? Um, where have you where have you currently got risk? Where are you currently losing value? Or where is there an opportunity to increase value? And that may be a very site specific issue. It may be um, it may be a for example, we're working on a project on an underground coal mine where there's an issue with cavity formation. So a very specific issue that was um, not only a safety concern, it was also a preventing, it was causing unplanned downtime and therefore significant loss of production, which was significant loss of, of value that could not be recovered. Um, so very specific issue where we needed to then look at the data available, um, understand what had been done to date and understand how we could look at the data different, differently. So we were taking geoscience data and coupling that with operational data, which, which hadn't been done before, and then building out a machine learning algorithm to become predictive on the cavity formation, shaping that into, um, into a tool to provide the operators with the, of, the, of the mining equipment 
with instruction and um, uh, insights into what's happening at the moment. So giving them that situational awareness and then instruction as to what action to take to mitigate if the risk increases of cavity formation. So that's very site specific, op a specific operational problem. We go to the, the other end of the spectrum where you're looking much more broadly and we, we are working with one of our clients on um, on the whole safety piece. So the, this particular client understands that if you get um, safety right, if you if you make your operations a safe place to be, you automatically have a knock on effect to productivity and profitability because you don't get that unplanned downtime. You don't get that lost injury time. You certainly don't get any fatalities is, is the intention. And, and unfortunately, we're not there yet. ICMM data um, shows in the, in the last full year that was available, I think it was 2018, that unfortunately, we didn't actually get any zero fatality with any of our any of our major mining companies or ICMM members. So we are still working towards it as a goal, and it's not yet been achieved, but it is possible. Yeah. So if you take that that very broad scope of what can we do in digital for safety? Then what we do is look at, well, where are the risks? Um, where are the hazards? And then what, um, what would you need? What insights would you need to mitigate those risks or to remove those hazards or to remove people from those hazards? So to remove the exposure from the hazards. And then you look at actually, well, what data do you currently have available and what and where might there be gaps? What additional data could you could you capture or generate in order to develop those insights through analytics and machine learning algorithms? And once you have identified that, then you can look at, okay, well, what technology are we going to leverage to capture that data, to amalgamate that data? Um, over what timeframes do you need that data? And over what timeframes do you need to present those insights to the workforce um, in order to ensure that you're mitigating the risk. It could be predictive. It could be that if um, if this particular trend continues down a path, we anticipate in 18 hours you're going to have, a, have an issue. The corrective action is X. So you take corrective action now and you don't actually end up going down that path. Or it could be more responsive or more reactive, um, sorry, more reactive to uh, you've got an issue happening now. You need to take a corrective action. Here's the corrective action. We ultimately see, and we're working with our clients on autonomous operations, we ultimately see that as we build out this digital capability and you've got the the um, you've got that connectivity, so you've got the integrated operations, multidisciplinary, multi-segment of the value chain, with algorithms um, running those the the predictive modeling behind the scenes and therefore the scenario modeling we will we see that the systems themselves will be able to take corrective action in time yep understand that um one thing you mentioned which i was going to bring up as well and i've heard this a few times before you mentioned obviously oil and gas being sort of one step ahead of the mining industry what uh, in your opinion what are they I suppose, what is the oil and gas? Why are they one step ahead? What are they doing differently? And I suppose, what can the mining industry learn from from the oil and gas industry? One of the key things, and, and um, we we work with uh, quite a number of the, the major oil and gas companies, and one of the key things that they have been one step ahead of mining on is the um, integration and... Um, collation into one accessible system of geoscience data. So uh, the mi mining and exploration, you have a wealth of, of data. Data really is, this, but particularly in exploration, it is where your value sits. Yeah. And often that historical data is not being utilised at all. In fact, it's hardly, it hardly ever accessed, if, if at all. So being able to, there's a huge amount of learning from that data that can be had, um, not least for things like prospectivity analysis. So looking for um, looking for correlations that you might not spot with a, a geologist or geoscientist trawling through paper copy data or data on Excel, um, but also um, insights about how a particular operation and how the the ore body is 
um, not not developing, but how the how the ore body is changing as the operation is developing. Say, for example, it's going deeper. And what the oil and gas companies have have done sooner than the mining companies is they they a number of them have got all of that data, whether it's paper copy into digital, structured or unstructured, got it into into a digital format, so a, a, a large database um, or data lake. And um, and made that then accessible to the geoscientists. So that has um, cut one. It's made data available to the geoscientists that wasn't available before, without a, a great deal of hard work looking for it, even if they knew it was there. And two, it's cut the amount of time required for that analysis to to access the data and then to to run the analytics to identify these correlations or 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 identify um, changes in grade, for example, uh, if we were applying it to a mining context. We are seeing the miners start to understand that um, that there is a lot that can be done with with analytics and machine learning. And, and again, we're working with one of our miners on exactly this. Uh, at the at the resource reserve estimation stage yep. to um, to put that geoscience data into a platform and um, and then develop models where we can then test that against the the model that was developed in a traditional way you know using your your geological modeling software and see in fact is the system coming up with the a, a, a similar answer or even maybe perhaps a, a better model and then you can start to apply that into an operational setting with um, grade control or ore control which is all the more important now that we we are moving into um, a situation where we want to minimize waste as much as possible so a lot of the miners are focusing on um, anglo-american has a particular a particular term they use under their future smart program called precision mining which is trying to access the ore only and um, reduce the amount of waste that you that you extract from the mine either underground or open pit and then once you once you extract that um, applying uh, uh, approaches such as bulk sorting where before you even get into the into the processing plant or maybe even before you get into the to the crusher you um, you sort the the material so that you're chucking anything below cutoff grade out and you're only processing the material that actually um, meets the cutoff grade which reduces the amount of waste you produce which is obviously a good thing with um with the issues we've been we have with tailing storage yeah. um but it also reduces the amount of energy consumption because you're not processing as much material yeah obviously you're involved in technology um how can technology address the needs of a business, obviously, in, in mining? Well, technology has been both a driver and an enabler of um, of the the significant changes we've seen in the last five years or so in, in mining. Um, we've had an exponential increase in technological development that we've never seen before and a convergence of several um, areas of development that have really enabled us to move forward quite dramatically. And that includes mobile technology, um, certainly cloud storage, so being able to store large quantities of data um, and also computational power. So the the whole analytics piece and being able to run analytics in in near real time to provide those insights in a timely manner that someone can actually take action to make a difference. And and machine learning and artificial intelligence require that computational power. Um, in the past, we haven't had that. So it's all been retrospective. So it, it's all just been um, looking backwards, reconciliation and saying that this is this is what happened but actually what we're what we're capable of doing now is becoming much more predictive so both diagnostic and predictive in an operational setting which is changing changing the way we can manage operations and, and run operations um if we bear in mind that the iphone came out 12 years ago which is okay. not very yeah. long ago and the the smartphone came out a year after that and how much that those have changed the way in which we live our lives and and how if we apply the same into the into the operational setting we can make some really significant differences quite often we speak with the c-suite of mining companies and they are they get concerned about or they express concern 
that um, the workforce may find technology complicated. And in fact, the um, we often point out that at home, the workforce will have potentially more advanced technology in their smartphone than they have that they're using in the, in the workplace. Um, and the way we are the way we are now developing our, our technology interfaces, um, both in Accenture, but we we see it, you know, in the likes of Apple, Samsung, etc. It's it's much more intuitive, and it speaks much more to um, to how the human mind um, captures information. So it's a lot more visual. If you take the difference between it demonstrating or illustrating insights in um, in an application that that shows you what you need to know in a in an almost pictorial way, um, a colourful pictorial way, and then you take the likes of Excel, and um, the brain doesn't process Excel as fast or as as quickly as it as it could pick up on the on the necessary insights that it can on a on a well designed interface, and that um, leads me on to another good point about. Um, what's critical in developing technology to respond to the business needs, so to meet the business needs, it is really key, and it's something we do in Accenture, to to involve not only the um, the data science folks, obviously, because you need to that data is is the key piece. The technology is just the is just the delivery method. Yeah. That it's the data that's key, but also to involve design thinking, which is all about um, understanding how you create the interfaces um, to to be um, fit for purpose, but also to be intuitive for the user, and coupling that with behavioural science, especially in the case of safety, where we're trying to um, engender, the, we're trying to, to to create and uh, tools and engender certain behaviours, and and if we understand behavioural science. And, and understand what um, what triggers a person to behave in a certain way, what behaviours are we trying to drive, we can create the interfaces, but we can also create the, the timeframes in which you deliver pieces of information to people um, in order to, um, to, to, to support that, to, to encourage that further. A, a good example of, of how this is not done often is... Um, and we've seen this in some of the early tools is the whole alerting if you you have an application with alerts so um so for example if uh, in an operational space if you have an integrated platform and you have an alert when the crusher goes down and you have alert when the when shovel 5 goes down and yeah. you have an alert if the truck truck 36 is on a slow cycle if you actually have too many alerts people turn off the alerts yeah, because the human brain can't process it, it and then it all, yeah. it all becomes unimportant. They just think, well, these are coming up all the time, so they can't be that important. Yeah, so that behavioural science piece is really crucial to include. Yeah, no, I understand that, and I I do the same with um, my WhatsApp notifications because I get quite a few, um, and sometimes yeah. if I'm doing a bit of work, I turn it off. And then I check yeah. every so often, so I understand it, where you're coming from. It can yeah. become very distracting. So it's really exactly. important when when you design these to to determine um, is this does this information need to be delivered to this person at during their shift, for example, or yeah. at this time. If it doesn't, don't provide it to them. If it can if it can be a summary end of shift, then that's that's when they get that information. Yeah. If if it's something critical, then then you need to find a way to highlight it so that they're aware this is a critical alert. Yeah, and I suppose it's whether they need to instantly, um, instantly do a, a particular action based on something that's happened, or like you said, it can wait. It, it, it's not critical, so it can wait. And I suppose it's distinguishing the two types of two types of messages that are being given out. Um, and I understand that's where you, obviously that's what you're you're explaining. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and the, the, yeah. just going to the to the other point on on technology, we still in mining we have, uh, um, we still have quite siloed systems and um, and a lack of interoperability. So we have si a lot of siloed working, either segmented by the the value chain um, steps or or by discipline. 
and um, and we have systems that sit in in uh, different different areas. There different disciplines work on on different pieces of software. And what we're working with our clients to do is to um, to build out at that interoperability capability so that's not just technology yeah. that's also the workforce and as we see um as we see more artificial intelligence and we'll see more autonomous operations and systems with decision making autonomy potentially robots so um we i don't know if you've heard the term cobot which yeah. is a cooperative robot yeah. um and we see that human plus machine environment developing um, this is it's even more critical to ensure that we've got that interoperability um, and that multidisciplinary working. Yeah. Um, what else do we need to be considering um, and what challenges does the industry face around technology? Well, look, the um, interoperability aside, yeah. certainly there's an issue with data readiness. So it's um, and it's something that that everybody can start looking at now, even if you feel that advanced technologies is is several years down the line. But actually looking at your your data, whether the the data is accurate and whether people can trust the data, that is that is key. Because once you start getting building out systems that are delivering insights to lead to actions, you need to know that that data is reliable is is accurate and that those receiving those insights are going to believe it um and and taking a strategic approach to data so an, another thing another change in behavior we we have observed is from a few years ago where the consideration was that all data was good and um, take everything historical and let's put it in a massive data lake and let's capture all possible digital data. And I, I don't know if you went to Mine Expo in um, 2016. No, I didn't, unfortunately. It, it, standing on the standing on the steps overlooking the, the big exhibition hall with all these um, cabless, driverless trucks yeah. and, and drill rigs, et cetera, and, you know, automated drill rigs. It looked like someone had vomited sensors on everything. Right. And, and when you went and talked to the companies and you said, oh, we've got a sensor on this and you've got a sensor on that. And you asked that, that really curious question, but why? What are you going to do with that data? Well, who needs that data? What, when would they need that data? And, and there was a few puzzled faces coming back. Um, so yeah. we understand now that actually what we need to do is be strategic about the data. So target useful data. And um, the data context needs to be understood, so so people can start to look at that now. Operators and um, and, and explorers can start to look at that now and understand um, that how how what they need to do to for, to improve their data readiness. The um, there's the critical issue uh, that is that is talked about um, and. Uh, and and maybe not enough action is done done about or at all levels is cybersecurity. Yep. So the more connected we get, the more vulnerable we are to cybersecurity. And it is so important. We our data capture. I, I read a stat last week that ninety percent of the world's data was was captured in the last two years, okay. and that is only That's going surprising. to yeah it it. It is as even in the home, we've got we've got a connected washing machine, for example. Yeah. Um, we need to make sure that we've got the right uh, cybersecurity technologies in place and also that the risks are understood and ensure that the, the protection and mitigation measures are in place. And a lot of that starts with your workforce as well and getting the workforce aware Quite a I don't have the statistic, but quite a number of breaches are as a result of someone opening um, an attachment in an email that, right, okay. that yeah. carrying virus. So that starts with the people and and making sure um, people are aware. And as the which leads, leads me on to the next key consideration is the the workforce. So as we have this huge shift in demographic um, that is already happening, so we have uh, uh, millennials. Are, are uh, I think up to seventy five percent of the workforce now, and um, and that that spans from those who are just about forty to those who are m mid to early twenties, and we're now seeing the Gen Z. So that's the next generation come in. Gen Z have never been without Facebook or yeah. the internet or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever the cool latest app is. 
and there, my observation from my own um, nieces, nephews, godchildren, is that their understanding of of the security of data isn't necessarily there because it, it's just so normal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, everything digital is recorded forever, even if you did delete that photo. Yep. Yeah. So it's important that as um, as the new generations come in, we we shift the way in which we approach our um, our training, but also our our measures and our um, our management of data handling, because it's very different from the um, between you know going from Gen X all the way through to Gen Z. Yes, yeah, certainly. And um, obviously, you meant like mentioned about. I, I suppose everything we do is being measured without even us knowing. And a couple of obviously big companies out there, which I probably won't mention, are capturing most of the data. And it's funny, even your phones, they're probably listening to what you're saying. They're also, also wherever you go, they're recording all that data in the yeah. background. And, and you might be unaware of that. And they're capturing all this data. So, yeah, I understand where yeah, you're coming from. Yeah, absolutely. There. Even our, our AI assistants at home, um, it wouldn't surprise me at all if if they were listening in yeah. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you believe will be the attributes of, of a uh, successful company or, or successful companies rather than those that flounder? I think that the, the key is to embrace change. Yeah. The, the world is... is changing significantly and at a very rapid pace and I don't anticipate that change stopping that's not going to um we're not going to go through this change and then suddenly we'll be in a in a in a period of still I think that we are going to see continuous dramatic shifts and we see this if we if we look at the the commodity cycles for example used to be incredibly predictable and and you'd have these typical commodity cycles of commodity boom and bust and and now since the um we had that exponential rise in up to 20 2011 2012 yep. we we are in a completely different landscape we haven't seen before we've got a lot of resource, resource nationalism happening um we are going to have some scarcity of resources um in in the relatively near future not least if electric vehicles take off and yep. the anticipated requirement to feed them with electricity has to, that has to come from somewhere the, yeah. the demands on the likes of copper the the battery minerals and other technology minerals cobalt lithium nickel etc are, are going to be significant so that that capability to continually review adjust um, and adapt to change is really key and that's something that we at Accenture do incredibly well every single month of every single year we are looking at where are we at do we need to adjust course um what do we anticipate as as the new and and let's let's tip our direction in that in, in that way yeah the other thing is to be really be strategic so um so it, it's always good to have a plan i always say it's good to have a plan but know that you can adjust your plan if you need to but but you have to have some sort of plan um it with respect to applying technology to, to address business needs it, it's important to understand that um, it's not a case of let's just uh, let's just make this the most modern mine on the planet it's it's and you don't have to advance all elements of the business at the same time so look at what the business needs are currently but also try and anticipate where there might be future changes so for example the tailings management which is another area that we're working on um, we currently have a, and I'm sure you're aware of the Bromadinho tailings dam failure in January, which really has been a major catalyst. Yeah, certainly. We currently have a traditional method of dealing with tailing storage. We anticipate as the regulators and um, the institutional investors and the new standard that's coming out of ICMM sometime next year, there will be a dramatic shift for everybody to um, to uh take an alternative approach to tailings entirely uh, whether that will become legislation in some countries we don't know yet we'll have we'll have to see how that pans out we do have tens of thousands of tailings facilities in the traditional storage manner globally so those will need to be dealt with either through um effective monitoring and management or rehabilitation um but the we may well see that 
the the regulators require an alternative approach to tailings that that involves dry tailings not wet tailings so that is something that that I know some of the miners are already looking at and that's the kind of address what you're doing now but actually look so you don't get to a point where your mining license is at risk because suddenly now you 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 only planned to store tailings in a traditional method yeah um and one other one key thing is to um don't lead with technology always lead with the issue to be addressed that whatever the goal is of the desired outcome and involve those with the roles at the front line taking who would be taking the action from the outset incorporating that behavioral science element with respect to the workforce it is critical to start upskilling the workforce now in a number of jurisdictions it, there, there will be low tolerance for removing the workforce and replacing with robotics, for example. So it's important to start upskilling and, and shifting skills so that we can we can prepare the workforce for the future landscape of mining. Um, and also, um, as the demographic of the workforce changes, we really need to shift our attitudes and approach in order to be be ready and be um, uh, be ha- have the necessary framework in place to support the different attitudes and different set of needs that the the Gen Z and and those even even younger who will come into the industry in twenty years time will bring with them because they've grown up in a completely different world to us and it is really important that we we understand that and and we. Um, we we factor in the well-being piece. The the that generation they don't they don't tolerate um, that you you come to work and you leave yourself at home and it's and it's all about work and you're committed to um, to working all hours um, etc. They they really understand there must be a balance between work and home life as well as they expect to bring themselves to work. They expect to be themselves at work and that's not a bad thing. Yeah, understand. And at one point, uh, just uh, clarifying what you said, um, you mentioned obviously, don't let to- uh, technology, technology doesn't lead the way, it is people. And I suppose technology assists in that. So you, we don't want to be technology driven. People are the people that are driving a business or an operation forward and technology helps with that. Yeah, absolutely. And and the same if you if you apply that to the mining industry as a whole and one of the reasons why the mining industry is is shifting from being re- commodity producers or mineral producers to resource stewards is because the industry now is being to some degree driven not only by the institutional investors and their choices but also by consumer behaviors. And um, the the consumer is choosing to, we saw this with conflict-free diamonds in the Kimberley process, for example. Um, very few people would tolerate a diamond that isn't, or would it, would, would want to purchase a diamond that isn't um, signed off under the Kimberley process. We see this with conf- conflict-free free cobalt. Um, we've, we, with um, Apple, for example, uh, choosing to use that. We see this with... Um, uh, Rio Tinto and their agreement to produce uh, sustainable aluminium for Nespresso, for all the Nespresso capsules. And these are all consumer-driven changes that are going from, from the consumer choice all the way back through the, through the manufacturer back up to the primary mineral producer. And we have, have never had that, um, that full value chain connect before. We've had we've had a, a separation between the mineral producer selling to manufacturers and the manufacturers then then dealing with the consumers, and that's a completely different landscape to what we've what we've had before. And we we will ex- we can expect to see more of that. I mean, not not related to minerals as such, but we see it in uh, we see it in plastics and and everyone looking for alternatives to single use plastics or uh, choosing recycled plastics or biodegradable materials. And we will maybe it'll knock on knock on effect to the mineral industry maybe that we'll see more glass come back for example yeah um i've got two more questions um so wondered where the industry will be in 10 years time like you mentioned the iphone's been out 12 years um, and how how far that uh, phone or smartphones how far they've developed so how would you how do you see the mining industry in 10 years time 
The, um, this kind of question always reminds me of the Bill Gates um, quotes where he says that we always overestimate where the, the amount of change or the amount of um, of development in two years, but underestimate the amount in 10 years. And, um, and I think we will, whilst we currently see some of these advanced technologies as very advanced, like uh, the, the likes of AI and having minds um, minds effectively running themselves without any humans on them, on, on the ground, um, that those changes will actually come fairly quickly and, and surprisingly quickly if we look back to now and this conversation in 10 years time. Let, let's have a conversation in 10 years time on this yeah. and see, see what, what we said. But I, I would say that the the big changes we will certainly see are there will be absolutely minimal waste um, and and minimal energy consumption and any energy consumption will be from renewable sources or or potentially um, hydrogen fuel cells the water consumption will be uh, or almost all mine sites will be some sort of closed loop system so any wastewater is recycled back into the system and um, minimal pulling from groundwater obviously there's a geographic nuance in there if you're um if you've if you're in a very dry area it's it's difficult to source water but that that will certainly be a significant significantly reduced so fresh water capture um we will have 100% interoperability, so it'll no longer be um, people working on different systems and having to share data between them. Uh, everything will be compatible, so that you can you can just open up, um, maybe open up a, a slightly different, slightly different application for a slightly different purpose, and you can just pull but pull C data directly from from an application. So, say for example, the the um, geologist wants to give the updated updated geological model to the surveyor. That they they will just pull it up on the same system. Yeah. And um, we will see many more mine sites with remote operating centres. So the humans removed from the exposure to the hazards. Um, that that will most definitely be a factor, a reduced presence of humans on site. And um, and and mines, and we're already seeing this to some degree, but we'll see that mine, mines will be scaled for economies, not not um, economies of scale as was in the past, where the bigger the truck, the better, the more material the truck could carry, the better. Um, it will be scaled for for economics. So um, so we may well see equipment on mine site getting smaller and more agile, so that you can be more precise on mining that ore body. And leaving the waste behind. Um, we've just talked about being consumer driven. It, that is only going to increase, um, and the um, even that the um, the manufacturers will start are, are already in fact, and and it'll maybe we'll see some standards around this, some sustainability standards, whereby the the manufacturers will no longer purchase um, aluminium if it's not from a sustainable source, or copper if it's not from a sustainable source, or or co cobalt not from a conflict-free registered mine, for example. Um, and overall, we will see companies that are much more data driven so everything will be based on data but strategic data not not all data captured it'll be what it, people will truly understand that we only need to see the data we need to see in that moment to make that decision or to mitigate some potential issue or risk that might be developing if a certain trajectory continued okay yeah now that's um hopefully this podcast will be still going in 10 years time and uh maybe a. Uh, I can invite you back on in 10 years time and um and obviously compare what you've said to to present days so um yeah no i think that's i think what you've said and summarized what you think will happen as the industry moves forward is is definitely correct um the last question um is more personal around yourself um you've been in the top 50 influential women in engineering in 2016 um, and i think you mentioned twice that you've been in the 100 global inspiration women in mining i think you mentioned 2013 and 2016. um what what could, uh, credentials or achievements do you think you need to be recognized in either of those awards but speaking from my experience the, there's obviously the need 
I'm very honoured to have been recognised in in both of those, and particularly the women in engineering, given that I was the only geologist in the list, okay. um, which made me very proud. Yes, yeah, certainly. <laughs> the, the, there's obviously the, the element of professional achievement and um, continuing to strive forward in your career, not being frightened of taking risks and not not um, not being worried about changing tack if needs be. So, for example, my my sidestep into into the um, the quarrying industry because the mining industry was in such a bad way in two thousand one to to then understanding I really needed to get some time at the coalface and 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 going out and spending a year in the field in Turkey. Um, always always thinking about. Uh, where the, the industry itself is heading and and understand what you can do to build your skill set and broaden your skill set. Because um, one of the key things is to have a fairly broad understanding of the industry as well as your specialism. Yep. On on top of that, it, and something I've always, always um, maintained, in fact, since since sixth form when I, I was on the, the college council, um, the... If you really want to make something great, you need to be involved in the organization and in the creation of whatever that is. And so from, from my earliest days of, of, of sixth form through through uni, where I was president of the Geological Society of Durham, and um, and then quickly got involved in the professional bodies of the mineral of the mining in, industry so the geological society and the institute of materials minerals and mining it is important to to be part of it and to contribute that time and energy to helping shape the industry and and making it a great place to be and making it a better place to be in some cases um as well as knowing that you need to help the next generation or help those with less experience. They may not necessarily be younger than you, those with less experience or, or those younger than you um, progress. So there's a responsibility, a collective responsibility there that I've always felt that and, and thoroughly enjoy helping others move up the ladder. And um, uh, and I, I, there are a number of people in the industry who I've, um, who I've mentored over the years, uh, un, uh, informally mentored, who I'm now, it gives me such great pleasure to see them thriving and, and finding their own way in their own, creating their own names in the industry and making significant contributions. That that, that enjoyment of seeing their success is is well worth it. So, so in short, there's obviously a, a, a professional, your own professional ach- achievements, but there's also a commitment to helping shape the industry. Um, and then also a, that collective responsibility that that we're all in this together and, and we can help bring on other people um, through the, their journey in their careers. Yes, certainly. And, um, and again, obviously, you mentioned people having a wide range of skills and understanding the wider market of mining. That's probably one of the main reasons why I'm doing this podcast as well for people with certain skills and experiences in their own niche or their own disciplines to share their knowledge, share their experiences. So other people from other disciplines can get a good understanding of the different, all all faculties of the mining industry, whether it's operations, whether it's finance, whether it's technology, for instance. Um, That's the reason why I'm doing this podcast. So people can get a, a taste of all the different things involved within mining so yeah and it's great to see that variety it really is yeah thank you and the, 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 at the end of the day we are all humans we um we're, we're not machines we we like to understand and get to know each other and have that human connection there isn't there a saying in um in sales you never you never buy a product you buy from a person, from a person. That you trust. Yeah. And um, so I, I really appreciate this opportunity and also listening to the other podcasts that you've done as well and, and getting to know others a bit better. Yeah, really, really uh, thank you, uh, Lee, for that. And I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to do this podcast. Um, if our audience wants to reach out or connect with you, if they've got any questions, um, how can they go about doing that? I'm more than happy for people to reach out to me. I, um, I'm on LinkedIn, yep. so just search under Leaf Carroll. And um, also, I run a monthly event in London 
um, called the Mining Sundowner, which is a get together for anybody who's anything to do with mining. And, um, and everybody is welcome. You don't need any specific membership. It's been running on and off in various forms since the 1960s, but I took over in 2007 and have um, have expanded significantly the the um, the the sector representation, both uh, both diversity as well in the in the male female sense, but also age groups and um, and the the corners of the industry that people attend from. So we've not just got geologists and mining engineers. We've also got um, the the C suite of mining companies, the explorers. The service providers, such as some of the drilling companies, the the bankers, the nomads, the brokers, the lawyers, um, and it's the last Thursday of every month, aside from December. Um, so f- people f- feel free to reach out to me uh, about that as well, and I can I can add you to our list. Um, I've got a Louise L- Lucille Ablett is is uh, working with me now to. Um, to manage the sundowner so we can make sure you receive the monthly uh, people receive the monthly invites yeah. and notifications and get are kept up to date yeah and it's a good event I've, i have been once before and i do need to get there more often myself so um yeah i, I, I wouldn't mind being put on that list as well okay just, again, just to give me a reminder yep sure yeah. absolutely well i really appreciate your time lee for uh, for doing this podcast um i hope everyone who's listening um, got a lot lot from it. I certainly did, um, especially around technology. Um, and it's obviously a, a going to be playing a, a more significant role within mining as we move forward. So hopefully um, you've picked up a lot of golden nuggets from, from this episode. Um, so until next time, happy mining. Thanks for listening to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. If there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests, then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org or you can follow Rob and Mining International on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube for more content and to have your questions answered. Until next time, happy mining.